This is, I'm pleased to introduce Misa Miller, who, um, this is actually her babies, and she had them, what, two months ago? Two months ago. And here she is um, to give a great talk, um, because she is actually, was an ob gyne doctor for about five years, and is now finishing up her residency in dermatology. So she's going to be talking about, um, you know, females and medications that are safe in females and during pregnancy. So please welcome Misha and... Well, thank you, um, Claire, and thank you for having me here to talk today about uh, basically women and uh, reproductive females. I know a lot of people are afraid of pregnant women, and you really do not have to be, but the first thing you see when you a pregnant woman comes in the office, you see their abdomen, and you think, lawsuit, I better be really careful. Um, and I think that a lot of pregnant women are left sometimes feeling like they're not cared for because they are pregnant. Um, so as Claire was saying, I was a practicing OBGYN physician for about five years, and then I decided to go back to residency in dermatology. I liked dermatology when I was... Um, in medical school, but I really thought that OBGYN was a better fit for me because I wanted to do women's health. However, after practicing OBGYN for five years, like I said, I knew it wasn't a 20-year career for me, So, and it's really great to be able to combine the two specialties. Um, I've restated the learning objectives here. Uh, just to summarize, basically, uh, the, the purpose of this talk is so that you can raise a red flag when certain medications come to mind to treat certain dermatologic conditions um, so that you know what the teratogenic effects may be when using that medication. Also so that you can select some alternatives that may not be as dangerous um, and so that you can understand the consequences of um, certain medications on uh, reproductive health and family planning as well. So you might wonder, well, why do we have so little information regarding pregnant women and uh, family planning when it comes to certain medications? Well, essentially, uh, there are a lot of ethical considerations regarding studies on pregnant women. Um, you will have a very difficult time uh, getting approval from any IRB uh, for a study that involves medications and pregnant women and seeing what the teratogenic effects are and the side effects, et cetera. Um, additionally, you're going to have a lot of problems recruiting patients. Pregnant women aren't gung-ho about being guinea pigs for a medication that might harm either themselves or their baby. Um, and also, pregnancy is an exclusion criteria in many studies, um, so you really won't get much data from that either. Uh, so most information really does come from animal studies, and we have to extrapolate some of the uh, results to humans. Uh, and then also we know what some of the side effects and the um, uh, abnormalities are because of inadvertent ex human exposures. So we always deal with this mother-fetus dichotomy um, in pregnancy. What's best for the baby is usually what people actually end up doing um, because it is such a litigious environment, um, obstetrics is. But it's essential that the mother not be ignored um, in terms of the pregnant woman in treating her dermatologic condition. Um, 
disregarding the mother can resu result in really high morbidity, especially if they have severe psoriasis um, or other conditions that are that can be pretty debilitating. Um, and thus, you may actually affect the pregnancy if you don't treat the mother as well, just in terms of her um, well-being that comes from having her skin disease treated. I'd like to remind you that the background rate for congenital anomalies in the general population is about 3 to 5 percent. And always remember that with any teratogen, the, uh, the effect of it is usually uh, only uh, manifested in a minority of patients. So not everyone who takes methotrexate, for example, is going to have um, difficulties. I've written here just the uh, pregnancy categories uh, designated by the FDA. Uh, just as a reminder, most of us are pretty familiar with them. But just to summarize, A, you can pretty much, category A, you can pretty much um, feel very safe using this medication in uh, pregnancy. There really haven't been any uh, uh, teratogenic effects noted in animals or humans. Um, B basically states that um, well-controlled animal studies uh, failed to show a risk in the fetus and that there aren't any adequate human studies as well. C indicates that there aren't adequate human studies. There may or may not be um, a, uh, yeah, uh, um, an effect in the, in the fetus um, and animal in humans. And animal reproduction studies have shown that there are some um, adverse effects. D states that there are adverse effects and adverse data that we know about, um, but that the benefits of using the medication may outweigh those risks. And X means that, again, we know that this medication may be harmful to uh, the fetus, but and that the risks do not outweigh the benefits to the patient. Now, the FDA has also proposed that these categories be expanded upon and that actual clinical data and risk summaries be included with medications so that you can make an, a more informed choice. So what I've done is I've broken down medications according to disease entity so that you can think about uh, alternative medications for a certain um, disease that you're treating. Now, the first category is psoriasis, and it is, there are an exhaustive number of medications, but that's really because um, I included medications that can be used for psoriasis, but as you know, in dermatology, a lot of the medications overlap with different disease entities, and you can use them for other things. So we're going to start with psoriasis, uh, and we're going to start with anthralin. Um, this is an anti-inflammatory medication. And although patients don't like the uh, side effect of the staining and irritation of the skin, um, it does have very little systemic absorption and is pretty safe in pregnancy. Uh, however, and it's safe also for the woman who is planning to become pregnant. Um, however, there have been some supply issues in the past, so this may not be uh, available. Uh, Calcipotriene is a vitamin D3 analog, and uh, it works by inhibiting keratinocyte proliferation uh, and epidermal differentiation. Um, and it also affects and inhibits some inflammatory mediators as well. Now, um, it has not, in one study on rats, uh, 
it was given to pregnant female rats from day 17 of uh, the gestation through day 21 of the postpartum period, and there were no detrimental effects on the offspring. Now, in rabbits, structural abnormalities were seen on um, mostly the cardiac and renal systems. However, there were no functional abnormalities um, resulting from calcipotriene administration. No studies have been done in humans. Um, there is some evidence of, of systemic absorption if you use enough of it. And you would see this in the mother um, if she was manifesting hypercalcemia uh, or hypercalciuria, uh, hypophosphatemia, and parathyroid suppression. So always keep in mind that the maximum dose is 100 grams per week. If you go over that, you may see these systemic side effects, and that does um, denote maternal toxicity. However, if you stay under the maximum dose, it is unlikely that calcipotriene will result in any teratogenicity in pregnancy. And if your uh, female patient is using calcipotriene prior to pregnancy, uh, you do not have to tell her to uh, change her uh, treatment regimen as long as she is using under the 100 grams per week. So on to topical corticosteroids. Uh, again, these are anti-inflammatory medications. Now, it really looks like it's the potent topical uh, steroids that you need to stay away from, for example, clobetazole. Um, those have been noted to have some systemic effects, such as adrenal suppression. The study that I found really was looking at patients with atopic dermatitis and did find some evidence of hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access suppression. However, just remember that these patients with atopic dermatitis have a very different skin barrier. Uh, they are more likely to have some systemic effects and systemic absorption of the uh, um, topical corticosteroid um, because their barrier is compromised. Some studies in rabbits have linked uh, topical steroids if used enough in great amounts for a long duration um, to oral facial clefts like cleft lips, uh, cleft palate, a fetal growth restriction, and fetal death. Um, however, a meta-analysis done in 2010 uh, did not find any of these associations. And still another investigation did find an association with cleft lip and cleft palate. So what I'm trying to say is ultimately the evidence is very inconsistent regarding topical uh, steroids. I can tell you that as a practicing OBGYN, we did use topical steroids for certain things, um, but just make sure that you use them in moderation. A lot of patients have questions about light therapy, and I'll just touch on that briefly. Uh, in terms of UVB and narrowband UVB, basically there is very little uh, systemic immunosuppression, although some studies do say that this therapy is weakly immunosuppressive, but uh, in general this is very safe in pregnancy. Now, on the other hand, you have PUVA, uh, and you are worried about the um, sorolins. If you're using bath or topical PUVA, the risk is very low. Uh, in bath PUVA, there studies have shown very low serum sorolin levels, and with the topical PUVA with the uh, sorolin cream, that um, with 
plantar psoriasis, also uh, there have been very low uh, serum levels detected. And no adverse effects on the fetus have been reported. With oral PUVA, taking the sorolin orally, um, a retrospective study done on uh, women and the partners of men, and the men were receiving um, the PUVA at the time of conception, it did not reveal any um, teratogenicity. Um, however, a 1995 study showed a link to low birth weight. In, uh, in summary, I, as an OBGYN, would not um, advocate someone under going uh, PUVA for treatment of their psoriasis or, or um, other disease entities, mostly because there are other alternatives and the data is a bit mixed. Cyclosporin um, has an immunosuppressive mechanism as well. And most of our data from, regarding this medication comes from transplant patients because it has been used much longer in that population. So always remember that when you have a um, pretty severe disease entity requiring organ transplant. There may be other co-founding variables that uh, affect the results of data regarding pregnancy and, and um, fetal outcomes. So a 2010 study uh, in uh, pregnant uh, human patients that had undergone renal transplantation uh, showed no evidence of association uh, between in utero exposure to cyclosporin A um, and long-term neurocognitive and behavioral uh, development. Additionally, we all know that cyclosporin is, um, can affect the renal system, and there was found to be no renal impairment of children uh, in, uh, in children of mothers exposed to cyclosporin in pregnancy. Uh, however, one study did show that Children born to mothers treated with cyclosporin may have subtle alterations in their immune system. They looked at their T cells and their uh, B cells as well during the first year of life. However, there wasn't really any clinical manifestation of immunodeficiency in these kids. So cyclosporin um, appears to be safe to use in pregnancy. However, there may be other alternatives as well. However, if a patient is only controlled with cyclosporin and their psoriasis is very severe, otherwise it seems that it's safe to use. Uh, methotrexate, methotrexate is a category X medication and I don't think that many people would attempt to use that in pregnancy, but just to touch on it for completeness sake, um, the effects that you see from using methotrexate in pregnancy on the fetus include neural tube defects, limb abnormalities, and dextrocardia. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the fact that this is an abortifacent um, used in OBGYN. However, the dose is much higher than what is used in dermatology. Uh, we give a one-time, sometimes you have to repeat it, IM dose of 50 milligrams per meter squared. The average adult um, is about two meters squared in terms of their body surface area. Uh, and that equates to approximately 100 milligrams. Uh, so just remember this is much, much higher in terms of we're trying to induce uh, um, an abortion basically for an ectopic pregnancy. Methotrexate really uh, is stored in a lot of different tissues. and one study did state that uh, it has been found in hepatic tissue 
116 days after the last dose. So the question really becomes, it's not so much um, a question of using methotrexate in pregnancy because most people would not do that, but when can a patient become pregnant after they've been treated with methotrexate? If the half-life is is long and they um, and methotrexate is stored in other tissues in the body and may be released. Um, when is it safe for this patient to become pregnant? And uh, the studies are a bit mixed, honestly. Um, some studies will say that it sh they should wait a year. Some say they should wait at least six months. So there was a study that showed uh, that people, uh, women who became pregnant less than six months um, after receiving their methotrexate uh, had no uh, congenital anomalies. However, this study did um, involve women who had received methotrexate um, as treatment for an ectopic pregnancy. So again, the dose was very different and the duration is different. Remember, that's a one or two time uh, treatment regimen. It's not something that they're taking uh, once a week for a chronic period. Um, so again, the, the recommendations for when to get pregnant is, is a bit inconsistent, but the, one of the manufacturers of methotrexate recommends to wait for three to six months after uh, receiving methotrexate as a treatment, as part of the treatment regimen. There were four patients who did receive methotrexate in uh, using the type of doses that would be used in, uh, to treat psoriasis, so five to 15 milligrams per week. And um, they received this medication in the first trimester. Likely this was an inadvertent exposure. And they did not have any congenital anomalies um, reported in that series. So again, the data is limited, um, but I would probably suggest that you wait at least the three to six months as uh, suggested by the manufacturer. Acetretin or sorietane is also category X. And again, the question is not whether you can use this medication in, in pregnancy or in the um, patient who is planning to become pregnant, but it's when they can become pregnant safely after using acetretin. So just know that there is uh, a retinoic acid syndrome and it's manifested by craniofacial abnormalities, cardiac abnormalities, thymic abnormalities, and CNS abnormalities. Uh, the relative risk for fetal ab uh, malformations in a person taking acetretin is 25.6 times the general population. So it is a real teratogen. It's something that um, you really do need to, to know about in your patients and, uh, and counsel them. So in terms of becoming pregnant, the recommendation is really to wait for three years. And the reason why is because um, Etretinate is the precursor to acetretin. However, if you're taking acetretin and you do drink alcohol, uh, you can have re-esterification of uh, acetretin into etretinate. Etretinate's half-life is uh, approximately 168 days, and it's very lipophilic, so stores in the fat. Um, total elimination time is unknown, and that's where the um, using two methods of birth control for three years status post-taking acetretin um, as part of your uh, medical regimen for psoriasis, um, that's where that comes from. 
So just know for acetretin, just like for Accutane in some ways, uh, you need two negative pregnancy tests prior to initiation of the drug. Um, and the, the patient must be using two forms of contraception while taking the drug and then that must continue for at least three years following cessation of the medication. Now I'll tell you that in, I have not seen anyone do this, but um, just know that that is what is recommended. And there's actually a program that's similar to iPledge uh, um, for Accutane um, called uh, Do Your Part program and it's pregnancy prevention actively required during and after treatment using acetretin. Although the uh, regulations aren't quite as strict, there's nothing that you have to necessarily log into. Uh, now, um, TNF-alpha uh, inhibitors, they're newer on the market and there really isn't as much uh, data on them, but just to know, I've listed uh, some of the more common ones and their mechanisms, et cetera, and they're all category B. Okay. So most of the data thus far comes from case reports, and the results are really mixed. Um, the majority of the databases, and when I say a database, what I mean is uh, a physician or a PA or a health provider uh, has a patient on a medication and will call in and say, uh, I have a patient on this medication and this, is, this was the deleterious effect, basically. Um, and so we're just taking all of these random cases and putting them together and there really hasn't been um, a consistent pattern of malformations with people on anti-TNF medications. So, Thus far, it's not really known if there um, is a real risk to taking these in pregnancy. However, I'm going to present some information to you that indicates that there may be a problem. Um, just of note, most patients, even the ones that have uh, been noted and, and, and uh, have been um, reported to these databases, did stop the medication in the first trimester, so probably when they discovered their pregnancy. Uh, so we really don't know what would happen if you continued these medications into the second and third trimester. Okay. So a 2005 report of a baby with, with Bactrel syndrome um, noted that the uh, mother had been on etanercept during pregnancy. So Bactrel syndrome, Bactrel stands for, the, it's an acronym, V is vertebral abnormalities, A is uh, anal atresia, uh, C is cardiac abnormalities, and they mostly manifest in the form of septal defects. T is um, uh, tracheal atresia, and E is esophageal, and tracheal fistulas, R renal abnormalities, and L is limb abnormalities, and this is a baby with Bactrel syndrome. Um, so this was one isolated case report. Now then the FDA database has noted from 1999 to 2005 they had 41 children with um, reported to have bits and pieces of the syndrome, however not exactly the entire Bactrel uh, syndrome. Uh, now, these were all born to mothers that had been using either infliximab or etanercept during pregnancy, and the duration of use varied. Remember, these are just reports. They're not, um, it's not a, a study um, where you can control for certain variables. Um, now, in vitro studies will show that uh, TNF-alpha 
has been shown to be protective against developmental teratogens. So uh, just keeping that in mind, we also know that people who are heterozygous for TNF-alpha um, single nu nucleotide polymorphisms, excuse me, um, have been associated with limb malformations just like in the Vactoral syndrome. Uh, additionally, we have uh, evidence that thalidomide and valproic acid, which are weak TNF-alpha inhibitors, are also linked to uh, similar limb abnormalities, neural and neural tube defects as well. So in, in summary about um, anti-TNF medications, Although there really isn't any hard evidence at this time that they may be associated with uh, fetal malformations, uh, you should really be cautious about having any patients on these medications in pregnancy and should likely discontinue them when the pregnancy is discovered um, just based on this evidence. You don't want someone 10 years from now looking back and saying, oh yes, it was this medication and this was the effect it had on my baby. So now we're gonna move on to acne. Uh, and really, when you're treating acne in the pregnant woman and the woman who is going to become pregnant soon, topical therapy is really best. Uh, you have topical erythromycin, topical clindamycin, um, they're both category B, benzoyl peroxide is category C. All of these are considered safe in pregnancy. Spironolactone is something that is used for acne at times, and this is a category D medication. It's an aldosterone antagonist, um, so uh, it works as a, a weak androgen and um, also a diuretic. And some studies have shown that there has been some feminization uh, in the offspring of mothers exposed to um, spironolactone in pregnancy. However, this finding has not been reported in humans. But in general, we don't use um, diuretics in pregnancy at all anyway because the uh, decrease in uh, serum uh, volume basically can lead to placental insufficiency and decrease in placental perfusion, thus leading to low birth weight um, in pregnancy, so it's not recommended anyway. Uh, Oral antibiotics are used at times to treat acne. Tetracyclines, as most people know, are not used in pregnancy because you can have uh, the result of deciduous uh, tooth staining when, taking after the, when taken after the first trimester. And also you see increased maternal hepatic toxicity during pregnancy. So erythromycin is a safe alternative. Uh, remember to use the base, not the estolate because of maternal um, hepatic uh, toxicity. Uh, sorry, that slide was a little bit out of order. So uh, tretinoin, another topical um, retinoic acid, approximately 2% of it is absorbed uh, from uh, topical application. There have been some reports of uh, congenital malformations uh, when enough of it is used, and this would be uh, consistent with the retinoic acid syndrome that I talked about previously. However, 2005 studies showed no malformations um, consistent with the retinoic acid embryopathy in children um, exposed to tretinoin in the first trimester, so mothers who took who used tretinoin in the first trimester. Still, however, I would not recommend that you use this in pregnancy because the data is somewhat mixed. 
Adapalene is another uh, retinoid. It's category C, so it's the in, of note, it's the mildest uh, retinoid available. Uh, no teratogenic effects were seen in rats using oral doses of adapalene, um, which is uh, the doses that they gave were approximately 120 times the maximal daily human topical doses. Um, however, in general, just probably best to stay away from retinoids in pregnancy um, because of the, uh, like I said, the data is a bit mixed and, and the, it, does, it does have a category C as well. Most of us know that um, tazeratine is a category X uh, retinoid and there were no published studies, however, a manufacturer um, through their clinical trials reported fetal death and increased congenital malformations in uh, rodents and, and rabbits treated with uh, the oral medication. However, then six women who were inadvertently exposed to tazeratine uh, delivered healthy babies. However, it's unknown how long they used the medication, um, you know, what body surface area they were uh, applying it to, etc. Of note, tazeratine of course, is also used in psoriasis. The FDA uh, categories cannot be assigned for one disease entity and then another uh, category for another disease entity. So the FDA pregnancy category is based on its use in psoriasis, which of course you're using the medication on a much larger area um, as opposed to acne. It's likely does not have the same um, risks associated with such a small area um, being uh, treated, such as in acne. Um, however, because it's a category X, just probably avoid it in pregnant women. And then, of course, isotretinoin is used in, for acne a lot. And it is a category X medication. And most of us have been educated extensively about the um, risks of using isotretinoin in a patient becoming pregnant. Um, again, you see the retinoic acid embryopathy uh, resulting from using isotretinoin in pregnancy. Uh, and most people are familiar with the iPledge system um, that really regulates the distribution of um, Accutane pretty strictly. Um, however, as opposed to acetretin, it's safe to become pregnant usually one month following the cessation of, uh, of Accutane. And just note, um, if, you had, if you weren't aware, Roche, um, it discontinued and planned to delist Accutane in the U.S. And that's really because of all the litigious um, uh, trouble they have gotten in with people becoming pregnant, but then also with some of the depression and uh, that can result from Accutane and people uh, suing the company because of suicides and things like that. Atopic dermatitis, um, it's very common to use antihistamines for atopic dermatitis. Now, H1 blockers are, are thought to be the safest to use in pregnancy. I just wanted to point out that the Medications that are most, uh, most used by dermatologists in terms of antihistamines really aren't the ones that we have the most data on for being the safest in pregnancy. Really, diphenhydramine 
Benadryl is the one that the OBGYNs look to as an antihistamine. Just to keep that in mind with, uh, in your um, practice, um, because it really has been shown through studies to be uh, safe in pregnancy, but most dermatologists will use hydroxazine and doxapin and maybe um, cetirizine as well. So tacrolimus and um, pomecrolimus or elidil, uh, I'm kind of lumping together a little bit. They're both calcineurin inhibitors, um, and there have not been any reports of any congenital abnormalities with use of these two medications. And again, most of our data does come from um, oral administration and transplant uh, patients, and there hasn't been an association with a fetal loss or teratogenicity. So for atopic dermatitis, I put systemic uh, steroids in this category. And again, you do see some studies reporting an association with cleft lip and cleft palate uh, in intrauterine growth restriction or low birth weight. And you do see it, uh, high enough doses suppression of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. Um, now, it has been shown in certain studies that uh, children born to these mothers also have HPA access um, suppression, uh, but usually this does normalize and is transient. However, because of the potential for the cleft lip and cleft palate and low birth weight and possible HPA axis suppression, uh, systemic corticosteroids should be used really cautiously uh, in the pregnant woman. There are some situations where you have to use them. Um, a lot of our data comes from women who uh, were admitted to the hospital with uh, ex severe asthma exasperations, uh, et cetera, but um, just remember to, to be careful about that. Herpes simplex virus, a lot of um, women in general uh, have been exposed to uh, herpes simplex virus, and um, a lot of them will ask you for treatment. Uh, just know that acyclovir, valacyclovir, famcyclovir, they're all category B, uh, that studies have not shown any risk in pregnancy uh, when taken in the first trimester. And also just know that these medications are commonly given to women in the third trimester by uh, OBGYNs uh, pro as prophylaxis to prevent an outbreak at the time of delivery. When you have the patient with warts and they become pregnant, the medication of choice, well, if you can use physical modalities such as cryotherapy, et cetera, um, that is preferred. And just know that in pregnancy, anogenital warts will go crazy. They will get very big. Um, I've only seen one case where a patient had to have a C-section because the warts occluded the introitus, um, and that is extreme, but they will, they will get very big. And really the advice that you should give your patient is just wait until after you deliver and they will reduce in size. Now most patients will not tolerate that at all, but just know that, that, that they will. Um, Anyway, uh, if you're using a medication, imiquimod is very safe. It's category B, it's minimally absorbed, uh, it's been proven effective during pregnancy. A lot of people have questions about that because of the uh, reduced T cell immunity 
uh, in pregnancy, um, but it is affected, effective and it's not associated with any adverse effects, fetal effects that is. Podophyllin is category X, uh, pretty much stay away from it. Um, it's been associated with intrauterine fetal demise um, as well as some teratogenicity, mostly in the form of preauricular tags. Um, Condylox is uh, a, substance, uh, a medication that a lot of people do have in their office and it um, has a reduced concentration of the patophilotoxin, um, and it doesn't contain the components that are thought to be mutagenic, but pretty much I would avoid all types of pedophilin in pregnancy just because um, you do have some pretty nasty uh, effects um, being noted in the literature for stronger concentrations. Fungal infections, uh, griseofulvin has been linked to conjoined twins. Itraconazole um, has been found to be embryotoxic in uh, rodents. However, of all the azole drugs, it has been noted to be the uh, least teratogenic, so just kind of keep that in mind. Terbinafin is a category B, and, has, and it's likely safe, but uh, usually terbinafin is used to treat um, onychomycosis, which is really an elective treatment. Uh, I would stay away from anything that requires an oral medication for something that's really not necessary to treat in pregnancy. However, just note ketoconazole shampoo uh, is entirely safe. A lot of people ask about scabies. How do I treat scabies in the um, pregnant woman. So the literature uh, reports that permethrin is the preferred treatment for scabies in pregnancy. Um, it is poorly absorbed. Lindane has been linked to endocrine disruption, uh, specifically sexual organ dysfunction in animals. And ivermectin is a category C medication. Uh, some reports in animals have shown some teratogenic effects. However, this has not been replicated or reported in humans, um, especially when you look at inadvertent exposures as well. Um, however, again, I would um, use permethrin. And this is my family. Um, my husband, my daughter, and my, my little boy that you saw up here. Thank you very much for having me. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Great talk. A uh, question about uh, urethromycin, uh, taking it orally. In Europe, there is some kind of cardiac abnormality issue. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Did, so you're asking me if that... So with, with urethromycin, in uh, in, with acne, for treating mm -hmm. for acne, uh, there was some with kind of... With the estolate or the base? I think it's probably the estolate is, is thought to be okay. Yeah, so more dangerous. So More dangerous than that. That's one. what I would avoid. Okay. And then one other question about uh, using the uh, topical steroids early pregnancy. Is that meaning more towards the, the first trimester? Is that where you're, when you kind of stated that there? Yeah, and actually there was a study that I didn't include in the presentation um, out of Sub-Saharan Africa where uh, women are using uh, potent topical steroids as skin lightening agents. They're using it with hydroquinone as well. Um, and that did, all, and they were using it throughout 
all trimesters, and it did show uh, some low birth weight and um, some of the craniofacial abnormalities uh, that were reported as well. So, okay. My question's in regards to these medications that you've mentioned are all in women. What about uh, transference in male semen, either right. before pregnancy, during, or mm -hmm. during all trimesters? I haven't found anything um, that would indicate that you need to to counsel your male patients on their medications. Yeah, not the ones that you would use for dermatologic practice. Um, salicylic acid and glycolic peels, do you recommend that in pregnancy? I have a lot of OBs who don't allow us to perform that on them. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, um, salicylic acid is essentially an NSAID, and even though you're not taking it Orally, especially in the uh, third trimester, NSAIDs are known to prematurely close the ductus arteriosus um, and thus compromise uh, fetal circulation. So I honestly would not recommend salicylic acid peels in pregnancy, just on the off chance that there was enough systemic absorption to have those fetal effects. And what about glycolic? Same? Uh, glycolic acid is less of a concern. I saw a report not too long ago about Bactrim and anencephaly. Can you comment on that, please, for acne? Hmm. I did not see that report. I would have to search for that and see. I asked my OBGYN doctor, and she said it. She actually looked at it and said it wasn't a real well-done report, okay. well-done study. And I was just wondering what your comment was. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that report. I'd have to look. And what about topical benzoyl peroxide? with acne, you said it was okay? Yes. Are there any studies with it not being okay that you're familiar with? I did not come across any studies with it not being okay. okay. Thank you. What is your opinion about retinoids and breastfeeding? Uh, topical? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, the absorption is very low uh, with topical retinoids. Um, and additionally, even with oral retinoids, very little goes into the breast milk. Most likely topical retinoids with breastfeeding and lactation are, are fine. Um, if you, in, in vitamin A toxicity most likely would not be as much of a factor in an infant as it is in the fetus, especially in the, in the first trimester. Um, I, I really think that you, it should be left up to you and the patient and your discretion. Uh, whether or not there really isn't any clear-cut evidence in lactation. Um, but all of the reasons why uh, topical retinoids are dangerous in the pregnant woman really aren't, they don't carry through to uh, the, de the fully developed infant, basically. So, What do you recommend for a chronic MRSA in a pregnant woman, and do you treat her with anything just prior to delivery? Um, I really only understood the first part of the question, the MRSA, uh, chronic MRSA. So if this is an asymptomatic MRSA patient um, and you're just talking about trying to eradicate the MRSA, I would just say, why don't you just wait until... Well, I'm talking about chronic abscesses oh, that chronic crop abscesses. up every week if we don't treat. Like in hydradenitis and things? This was just isolated abscesses. I, it didn't see any link to hydradenitis at all. 
Okay. But about every two weeks, she had a different abscess in a different area that either needed opened or whatever. She kept culturing MRSA, even with Bactrovan to the Nares. Her OBs wouldn't let me treat her. And she had an active abscess the week before she delivered. I've lost track. I don't know what they did. You know, honestly, I would agree with the OBGYNs, um, especially if there weren't, uh, you know, the patient didn't have diabetes if she wasn't getting uh, septic, and these were isolated abscesses that you could treat with IND or um, uh, Hibiclins, um washes or, or anything else, I, I would wait. Okay. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm.